Hey everyone, I'm Joe Chicarone, and this is Built Not Born, episode 96. Today's guest is Wiley McGraw. Wiley McGraw is a former professional pitching prospect, competitive bull rider, and a veteran of three combat tours with the Army's Elite 101st Airborne. Wiley works with high performers on leadership development pushing CEOs, Hollywood celebrities, Wall Street executives beyond their limits so they can hit their peak potential and sustain it. It is a fun conversation. Wiley pulls no punches on speaking how to live an optimized life, how the average person can level up their peak performance, sustain it, and live their best life. If you like what you hear, please hit that follow button or better yet, share this episode with a friend. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Wiley McGraw, high performance coach to the rich and famous. And remember, life is built, not born. Wiley McGraw, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate being here, brother. Oh, it's an honor to have you, Wiley. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> who am I? That's a, I think that's the question of a lifetime for any human being. Who are you? I think it combines into my work. Answer that question, Joe, for your audience to, to know who I am and what I do are both one and the same. And that that comes from a place of the life experiences of being a competitive athlete growing up in a household where I was born into sports. There was no choice to become an athlete. It was just what was expected of me. It's almost like I make the joke, out of the womb came the, my pitching arm. So it became this like you know, three years old, I'm throwing a ball in the backyard and my dad sees the talent. And the next thing you know, I'm on a mound. I'm being trained by the pros and going to this. I grew up around pro athletes. My dad's friends with major, major league baseball stars, et cetera, all through the past. So that experience of being born into that household, the expectations of being this perfect athlete from my father as a firstborn son, it really created this interesting idea of like, who am I? What is it that about myself that I don't know or I need to discover? But I wasn't aware of that keenly as a young man. So I was always collecting baseball cards. I thought I had this great family dynamic. I was being pushed to be my best. Excellence was the key, was constantly this perfectionism. So for your audience to know more about that is Wiley McGraw, where I discovered the fact that these external pressures and these expectations were breaking my ability to stay excited about the love of the game. I started to seek out alternative environments to truly challenge myself, whether I, I recognize it or not. And that's where I found bull riding, got into the competitive world of bull riding and rodeo, fell in love with the wild nature of that environment that really started to break me free from the chains that I felt that were binding me, the limits that were placed upon me by others. And I discovered more of my own power and potential. I started to feel connected to who I really was, this intimacy that I feel was missing as a kid. And eventually got to the point where I, I started to get excited about those very radical, uncomfortable environments, Joe. And I was like, I want more. I want to know what else is out there. I want to know how far, much further I can be pushed. And the military came knocking. Of course, part of that was my, my dad being pissed off at me for not doing what he expected of me as an athlete breaking away from him, becoming this cowboy who was doing these wild things that he used to say that gave me an attitude rather than recognizing they didn't give me an attitude. It was birthing the real me. And the real me was standing up for myself, was recognizing this warrior within, seeing how I was born into this world with this eruptive nature. And this is why I dealt with all the family stress and dynamics as a kid. And I started to become aware of this, which means the control on that side was being diminished, therefore causing that that separation in our relationship, which is why the military was the next best step for me. And then I became this combat infantryman with the 101st Airborne Division and went to three different tours overseas with them in combat, discovered this gift that I, that I really had about being able to expose and see blind spots, erupt stress, and really push people beyond their limits in a very unconventional way. Founded Radical Performance Acceleration after getting out of the military healing through my, my own demons, battling my own demons, and getting to the place of understanding what life is really supposed to look like, feel like, and operate from. And that's what I've been doing for the last 14 years. So I hope that helps give a little bit of a backstory. Wow. There is a lot to unpack there. I appreciate sure. that. Sure. I want to get into A, how you become a competitive bull rider. 
what it was like serving three combat tours with the legendary 101st Airborne. I want to talk about your philosophy of exposing people's blind spots, pushing them past their limits. And why in demons? You talk a lot about demons. About yes, I do. How, how our demons grow as we grow and yep. where they come from, how to get rid of them, how to deal with them. You can't get rid of them, how to live with them. But mm. before we go into all of that, I want to start back all the way from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Southern California. So yeah, Orange County originally. Right in Orange County. Uh, born in Anaheim. I went to okay. school in Ana- Anaheim Hills. I lived all over Irvine, Huntington Beach, Costa yeah. Mesa. Uh, yep. So that How was great my stomping grounds. It was fantastic. I mean, it's gotten crazy over the last 20 years. The beach towns are fun. I found myself uh, constantly navigating towards mountains as well. I really like the mountains. And I like, so I like the duality of going to the beach and then going to the mountains because the energy is completely different. You get a cl- whole different experience. But yeah, that's where I'm from originally. If they asked the 18-year-old version of Wiley McGraw what he wanted to be when he grew up, what would he have said? I actually wanted to be a firefighter. So that's the, as a kid, I I loved firemen. I thought firemen was the ultimate space of service. And I was always at different fairs in our local fire departments growing up and meeting the firefighters. And it was just enthralled by the, the selflessness of those men and women and how they operate. So as a kid, I always kept this in the back of my own being of when I get to a place where I've gone through whatever experiences I'm supposed to have, eventually I get to the point where I can go to the academy and I can become a fireman. And that's what I wanted to do as a career. But life doesn't always end up going in the direction you might have set out for yourself, which is why it's good to be open to sometimes the most arduous, challenging moments you are facing are in fact redirecting you towards your life's purpose. They are in fact birthing you a new awareness of what you're really meant to be doing out in the world. And I think people resist that. They fight it and they try to control it too much to the point where they end up still going down the path that they think that they're supposed to have. And 20 years later, they're miserable. They're Mm -hmm. suffering in silence. They're stressed out, even though they might be making good money. There Mm -hmm. might be other things for us out there, but we don't allow ourselves that flexibility. Brene Brown talks about that, where um, she deals with people where they're like, you're going to be an engineer. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. And they fit into this stereotype. They were told at like 12 12 years old, they should be because they were good at school. Yeah. And she goes, I deal with them at 40 when they have drinking problems, when they're making 600 grand a year and they need three drinks at the end of the night, or they're on their third marriage. And they have a successful career. They're you know, a great doctor or a great attorney or whatever. They were. They went towards someone else's goal, someone else's dream. Sure. And, and uh, yeah. Well, you, Joe, if you think about it, you, you made yeah. a good point right there. It's it, consider the fact that I look back and people go, well, why didn't you just stick it out, grind it out with your dad and become a pro baseball player? Yeah, absolutely. I had a 80 mile an hour fastball at 13 years old. Great. I, I was being trained by the California Angels pitching staff to learn how to be a better pitcher. Fantastic. All the connections were there. But the fact is, if I would have stuck that out, I would be unfor- unfortunately sacrificing unnecessarily parts of myself. I would be consuming other people's expectations. I would be limited by what they think I should be doing based on my talent rather than fully discovering, like you asked that question, who are you? Yeah, I would have never known who I am right now, what this gift that I was born into this world with as this eruptor and this demon slayer. And we'll talk about that demon aspect soon, but you, yeah. you made a good point. I would have stuck it out. Yeah, cool. I would have had million dollar contracts. I would have played in the, in the league, but I probably would have been miserable. I would probably would have been in a bad place. And I am happier than I've ever thought I could ever be where I'm at now, even though my work might be intense. This is what I'm meant to be doing. And because I embraced those moments of unbelievable discomfort and challenge, this is what's directed me into this new path. And that's one I want people to hear. Yeah. So at 18, what'd you do? You graduated high school. What was your first move? I was already in the army at 18 years old. I was actually really? in the army reserves during high school. So oh. I joined the delayed entry program at 17. I wanted to get into the the vibe, the energy of being a soldier. So I okay. chose an MOS just because the duty station was close to home. I got to drive one weekend a month down to Camp Pendleton, California, where my unit was. I got to learn and train and be a part of that. And it got to the point where I, it, you know, as I got, get, got ready to graduate, it wasn't enough. And even my first sergeant at my unit said, hey, you're, you're a little bit too high speed for the reserves. You need to go into active duty. I said, yeah, I know. I want to be in combat arms. I want to jump out of airplanes, go to ranger school. I want to go do uh, special operations type stuff. So that's why I ended up at 18 years old back in, in active duty and in the combat arms unit serving my country. First off, yeah. thank you for your service. You're welcome. So, what, um, how'd you wind up in the 101st? 
Long story short, I got airborne in my contract. So when you join the military and you go in combat arms, you want to be a special ops, you got to go through what's called basic infantry training. You go through boot camp, you go through AIT, you become a light infantry men. But through that pipeline, you then can branch out into different pipelines like Ranger, a RIP, or now it's called RASP. Ranger indoctrination program back when I was in, and now it's Ranger assessment selection program. So there's different ways you can go into that special operations community, or you can go through the you know uh, Green Beret SFAS pipeline. So you you branch out from there. I got airborne in my contract because airborne would guarantee me a direction into the Rangers, going to the Ranger Regiment. When I got to boot camp, graduated, got my blue cord, which means welcome to the infantry. You've are, you've earned this time on our tradition. You're part of this small community of frontline uh, fighters. They took us down to go do our airborne physical. A bunch of us that had it in our contract. This is the bullshit about the army and the military in general is, Joe, they do what's called needs of the army. So what ended up happening, they pulled us aside three days before we were supposed to start a jump school and said, hey, we got a bunch of West Point cadets, officers that need to get pushed through their units. They're going to take your slots. So I lost my airborne slot. So that pissed me off. But then I, what am I going to do? I'm not going to get out of the army. I wanted to serve. They said, hey, but you got orders to Fort Campbell. So that's how I ended up with the 101st Airborne Division. And I just embraced it. I said, you know what? Change is good. I can get there. I can I can be a good soldier. I can push myself. There's a bunch I can learn. I can go to aerosol school and get my aerosol wings. I can do EIB. I can get all these really cool things. And then I can start asking for airborne school and getting into Ranger that way. And it just become this like perpetual state of constantly being told, ah, not the right time, not the right time. So that's where I stayed. So you stayed at the yeah. 101st. And you stayed at the 101st. So three combat tours with the 101st? Yep. Where, where, you mind tell us where they were? No, not at all. Well, my first tour... It was in Kosovo. So the Kosovo, I volunteered to go over with, I was with Battalion Mortars, which is a bigger platoon, as a, a indirect fire infantryman. Meach, I specialize in mortar gun systems. And when I transferred over to a smaller 60 section, I volunteered to do that because I wanted to go be a part of a more tighter unit rather than a big platoon. And then when I got home from Kosovo was where I started to get my feet wet with a little bit of combat style operations, even though it was a humanitarian aid peacekeeping mission. I was being brought along with a lot of the more door kickers taking me on missions with them. We were do we did a covert reconnaissance mission to go catch a lot of the different Serbian or uniform police that were doing a lot of that genocide ethnic cleansing back in, in 1999. So that time when I had my first experience of being surrounded by enemy fighters and getting into the space of being quiet and being stealthy for a long period of time, catching them, nearly get into gunfights for the first time, being shot at, all those elements allowed me to really discover how I was able to operate as a soldier. And then when I got home, I re-enlisted. And then Afghanistan happened after September 11th, as we all know. And we were basically a month and a half later, we were in Afghanistan. So that then birthed into this eight-month tour over there, real combat operations, real situations where, you know, different types of, um, you know, firefights and things like that, gunfights, if you will. Uh, it was really unique to experience how well a team could function in the most chaotic of moments. And then when we got home, we all started laughing, going, we're going to Iraq next. You can feel the tension in the air. And of course we did. Six months later, we were in Iraq for the push to Baghdad. So wow. those are my tours. Yeah. Wow. But first off, thank you for that. Yeah, buddy. Second, Absolutely. Second, uh, how long were you in Iraq for? I did uh, six months, I think six months wow. before I left and came home. Now I, I fought tooth and nail myself, whether I should stay in or get out. And the reason why again, we'll go back to that quick the story you had asked about, is because I didn't trust the military anymore. They kept telling me when I re-enlisted after I got home from Kosovo, I said, just give me my airborne school. They did it. They Again, they bullshitted me and they dicked me around and I did not get my, my and I was okay with that. I did it anyway. I re-enlisted. Then when I'm in Iraq, my third tour, my first sergeant, my company commander, I was an NCO, a corporal in charge of my 60 gun section. They said, hey, look, you want to, let's talk about your re-enlistment, brother. And I said, okay. What do you want? I said, I want my E5. It should be promoted to sergeant. I need to go to airborne school. I need to go to ranger school. If you give me those three things, one of which I've already am due, then I'm happy to stay in the military longer. And I said, okay, we can probably get that done. Oh, fantastic. They said, but you got to give us six more years of your life. Six years is a heavy ask after five and a half years already. And you constantly taking away the one thing I wanted the most. So I didn't trust them and I fought that. Should I stay in? Should I get out? Plus, I had an opportunity to potentially go to a warrant officer school and go fly Blackhawks because I got to fly as a door gunner during the push. I met a bunch of pilots. So I had this huge world of battle of what do I do? But I felt like I knew myself, truly knew who Wiley was in that moment, realizing that as I led my team, 
I was dealing with a lot of the chaos that my guys were going through. I was seeing blind spots in their performance. I was like, something's unique here. Let me just get out and build something for myself. So that's why I pushed through and decided to leave the military. So yeah. you leave the military. What's it like taking the uniform off for the last time and stepping into civilian life? What's that like? That was a transitional point. I think it was very, that was a stressful moment. I spent six months still feeling like I left my weapon system somewhere. You know, mm -hmm. we're so used to carrying our, our rifles and yeah. our gear. I constantly would wake up and, and sometimes in cold sweats thinking that I was missing out on something. The struggle of getting out of the military and hanging up the uniform for the last time, I felt the, I want to, what's the word I want to describe this as? It's almost like I, I lost a brotherhood that everyone has bought into the mission in the military. So when you get out into the civilian world after being part of that for a long time and you get around people, it is quite a bit of me, me, me out here versus in the military, it's, it's we. There's this, you're, you're responsible for the guy to the left and the right of you. And then when you become a leader in the military, it's the satisfaction of understanding that as people operate and they perform, because of your leadership and your containment and your ability to see and focus and keep people on track, when you get out of the military trying to apply those skills into a world where people resist heavily any kind of push, any kind of drive, any kind of telling them what to do. That's what I hear a lot of civilians say, well, don't tell me what to do. It took a moment to transition into that. But again, when you have the skills, you just understand it, you see it, and then you move, you just move through it. You face yep. the challenges head on. Yeah. yeah. What's a, so you leave the military. What is your next move from there? Getting my feet grounded with where I was at, understanding what it was about myself that I discovered and wore that gift. I keep using that word, but that gift that I traced back to my entire life. I was like, okay, this is why my family acted the way they acted around me. This is why people out, out in the community would act the way that people were always erupting around me. People were always giving me their stress, telling me their truth. It's almost like there's something wrong with me as a young man. But then as I got older, I said, no, nothing's wrong with me. Something else is here and different. I just don't know what it is. But I'm dealing with my own stress. I have three tours overseas. I've got, I lost buddies of mine, you know, in, in certain situations that, that, that took a toll on me as well. A couple of friends of mine that I, we were talking right before Iraq, we were enjoying the fact that we were serving together and these guys didn't make it home. And to me, that really rattled my cage a little bit. So it's kind of like, I wanted to deal with my own self first because I recognized habits and patterns that I was going through quickly that, and we'll talk about this in a minute. I think your audience needs to hear this and is going to your other question, habits and patterns of self-awareness that were not conducive to me being my best. And the fact that I could see that and I can embrace the little bit of that truth, even though I wanted to do those habits because they were good, they felt good in the moment, they're fun, they helped me deal and cope. I knew I needed to do something about them. And that's why I said, screw this. I'm going to start fighting the, the demons I'm plagued by, whatever the family dynamics and chaos and stress, because the real war that I was dealing with, and I think most people deal with, is not on a foreign soil. Mm -hmm. It is within us. It's here at home. It's in our head. It's in our bodies. It's in our energy, our spirituality. We are not facing those real battles. So I got home and said, it's time for me to face my own battles and I don't care what it takes or how ugly it's going to get, I'm going to do it. And it's mm -hmm. interesting is when I made that commitment, I started to pull in resources around that surrounded me and supported my ability to unleash the stress and get really clear on which direction why I wanted to go. And that self-mastery, you hear that word all the time that everybody talks about, but very few how to master, truly master, that's what became a, a commitment of mine. And I lived in that and I was willing to embrace every moment of every day. No matter, I, it's like I stayed uncomfortable for uh, several years when I got in the military. I don't think I had a moment of peace because I just wanted to stay in the space of being very, very distraught with myself so that I can move through and heal what plagued me rather than just dealing with it, coping with it, compensating mm -hmm. from it. And that's when I met my eventually met my business partner who that perfect timing was like, you're in a great place. This is who you are. You know, I was getting ready to be a firefighter. I thought that's where I was definitely gonna go. She's like, No, you're meant to fight fires just in a completely different way. Here's who you are. This is what I recognize. And that truth she gave me was like, I embraced that truth. I didn't resist it and say, No, I'm good. You know, I'm fine. Thank you so much. I don't believe that. I just said, you know what? Let me listen to what she's saying because. I had my ego set on being a firefighter, but she's telling me in a loving, powerful way, we met for a reason. 
here's who I you are. Here's what I see you got going on. Watching people that operate around you, how they interact with you. You've got something going on here. And we built the business around that. So it just mm -hmm. became this real self-mastery that I want people to hear is like, that is the most important thing. If you want to be a successful person, you have to be a whole person. And I think that's the thing that we're missing the most. We're trying to circumvent hacker way to greater wealth, impact and performance. And we're not facing what we need to look at first so that we can be this optimal machine that then creates what it is we have our heart set on. Thank you for sharing yeah, that. Uh, you doing some research on you. You say people cope instead of live. So instead of working through them and going through and kind of fighting through them, going through the other side. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why is the average person very complacent, inclined to, to just commiserate in the stuff that's bothering them instead of saying, let's make a change and let's get better? What do you see from your perspective? Like, why do people cope instead of change? There is, I'm going to unpack that. That's quite a bit there. Number one, it's not even just the average person. It's the majority of powerful people, celebrities, CEOs, public figures, celebrity coaches, personal development leaders. Contrary to what people believe and what they see on the surface, a lot of these, these big name people out there are coping themselves. And it doesn't matter how much they try to convince you otherwise, they really are. And I've worked behind the scenes and I've been in these circles. I've seen what's going on really behind the curtain with these people. The problem is, there's a study, I thought you would appreciate this, and your audience will as well. They did this huge study on why do you choose to eat poorly and live a very unhealthy life? And every single one of the respondents says, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know it. I know the truth. But I do it anyway. And a lot of them said, I could take the money I do have and buy better foods over the fast food and sugary food that I'm just using to live my life and, and kind of deal with the stress I'm under. They said, but why? They're like, I know the truth. We know the truth as human beings, all of us. It doesn't matter what your status is, what level you operate, how much money you have. If you're an elite military special ops guy, or you're a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, or if you're a person that works at Chipotle, at the end of the day, human beings know the truth. They just choose to let the mind lie to them. It's the same thing in the principle of kinesiology. The body never lies, ever. The mind is what lies. And when you start telling yourself a lie and override what your body knows, what your soul knows as the truth, you tell that lie over and over again, you can start pulling other people into your surroundings that also start to believe those lies as well. And those lies become your truth. And then that truth is what you operate from. When in fact, at the core in your gut and in your heart and in your intuition and your body will react to things and tell you, no, something else. You have to go this way. And your mind goes, no, that's too hard. That's too uncomfortable. That's too invasive. And we have industries that are built around those lies that perpetuate them. It's the same thing with the self-help industry, Joe. It's 47 billion last year. This year, it's going to be 62 billion. Why is it getting richer while people are still stuck? If their stuff really was the truth, if it really did work to the degree they all claim it to be, nobody would be stuck. Everyone would be living an optimal life. We would not have this constant chase and coping mechanisms of dealing with stress and compartmentalizing ourselves. No one wants to just be real and go, you know what? I know the truth and I'm just afraid to actually face it and battle it. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why they cope because the lie is perpetuated and it becomes chronic. And that chronic problem then creates physical disease. Physical disease causes people to stress and suffer. And then they end up reaching for tools that keep them in a state of coping in the long term rather than understanding that you can cope for in an acute situation, but you need to resolve for a sustainable long-term solution. We're not doing that anymore. Nobody does that. Even the most powerful people don't even do that. That's why celebrities are full of shit when they write books about how to change your life, when they're all slapping people on stages at award shows and doing crazy things out in the world. The problem is because people let their mind lie to them. And they, even though human beings know the truth, hope that answers your question. Oh, absolutely. I'm ready to go deep there. You write, we are all born with demons. Yes. Quote from you, our demons grow as we grow. Yes. Okay. Fill in the gaps. What else? Oh, I'll fill the gap. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> it, it parlays into what I just said. When you have the mind constantly lying to you, even though the body and soul are telling you the truth, you create a divide. People are disconnected. That's how the demons get in. Now, if you want to talk esoterically, 
spiritually speaking, there's energies that can come in and impact and influence you. But if you want to talk scientifically, you can consider life's negative experiences, traumas, stresses, setbacks, expectations, limitations that are placed upon you, physiological issues, et cetera, are all you can consider them demons. They will get in between that gap, that disconnect between your mind and your body and your soul, who you are, and they cause havoc. Going back into that aspect that you just talked about, demons, think about it. When we have babies are born, even in in vitro, right in the womb, your parents are already projecting expectations of maybe my son or daughter is going to be the next Beethoven. Maybe my child's going to be the next rocket scientist. There's so much being bombarded on you even before you come out of the womb. Then when you come out of the womb, you have projected expectations and limitations. What things are going to be fears that surround the child? So you're already born into a world of projected stress, projected expectations, limitations, ideas, rather than it being just this pure experience of you coming in and navigating this world yourself. And all the stories that we like to fabricate for ourselves come from the fact that we're born into this world with these demons. We do not get to the core of them and fight them head on. And we have literally a society that is built on coping and on stress and on struggle. And we then these demons are out in the world talking to each other rather than it being the people actually connecting on a more intimate, balanced, powerful level. You mentioned the ability to accept feedback a couple moments ago. You said the ability to listen to feedback, let it process in your head and actually change your action. Not like one star reviews, what no. Seth Godin likes to say, no one ever, no author ever got better reading their one-star reviews. That's basically the work's not for them. But if you go like to your four and three-star reviews where it was not perfect, but you kind of connected with the work, that feedback is such a gift. If you could take that in, maybe that yeah. chapter was a little long, or maybe right. I, I didn't let John talk after I talked. They, the ability of self-awareness and feedback, I think, are game changers. What do you think? Absolutely. But it, it takes someone's ability to be willing to face truth, yeah. face, face themselves. And I wanted to add something to you, Joe. People want to be great, but the blood, sweat, and tears that they need to put into that to become great requires what you just said, being willing to face the truth by getting the feedback, being pushed, being challenged that may sound unorthodox, un- unconventional, goes against traditional thinking, industry thinking, the limitations that we place on ourselves from a psychological standpoint. The problem is, it's if you, I look at animals, why do you think we have animals like bomb-sniffing dogs, drug-sniffing dogs? They, these animals are, they have no ego. So they just know when something's bad. They sense it. We have an ego. We have this mind of ours that's different. So we instantly want to put up blocks because we absolutely hate, hate looking bad or looking stupid or looking wrong in front of other people. It's a weird mechanism of it's almost safety, like protection. Our psyches have not evolved as far or as fast as our technology has. So this asymmetrical growth, it scares us when we're actually experiencing real transformation. Now, guys at the top that we talked about earlier, Tony Robbins, they have cool concepts. They do give people some incremental change and growth. They give this like really like ah, gritty, profound, conceptualized ideal of what it means to change your life. But the problem is when you don't have someone or something in your life that can keep you in the fire, in the hard moments that happen to you, when shit is hitting the fan, you're actually never going to move through that the right way. And you're always going to let the ego and the mind lie to you that you're changing rather than actually feeling what real transformation is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. Becomes this idealized, conceptualized way of living rather than a true and experiential transformative ex- life that people are saying they want to live, that goes back to that starting with feedback. If I tell a client, that's why I work with powerful public people. They're the biggest culprits to what's really going on out in society. They are living limited and completely fucked up. They just are. And then they're mm-hmm. standing out in the world and, and infecting people like the whole Will Smith slapping Chris Rock and all this that infects people, that makes people, stirs up their demons and makes everything kind of go crazy. And it's like, when you have people that are disconnected, the rest of the population is going to be disconnected. And I work with them because they're the ones that are truly afraid to close that gap and face their truth and get to the the place of balance and peace because they built their empires on 
the lies and the stress and the chaos that they're used to. And yeah. it goes into this world of teaching others, you've got to sacrifice, you've got to suffer, you've got to do things at all costs, you've got to go against the grain, you've got to be the one who's willing to lose out on things that matter to you if you want to be the best. And that is a lie as well. Yeah, a couple things there. Getting yep, back yep. to the point you mentioned, like a Tony Robbins yep. or something, you go through this weekend immersion, you, you come out all mm. fired up and you get all excited. And there's probably some benefit there. But the one yep. thing I learned in the sales world, I've been in sales for like 20 years and also in the jujitsu world, training is not an event. It's a process, right? So like if I took one jujitsu class and I had Hicks and Gracie or John Danaher, like doing two of the greatest maybe practitioner or teacher ever come and teach me for two straight days, I would get benefit of that. But let's say they disappeared and I never practiced or I never had follow-up. I couldn't go yeah. back to someone with questions or like yeah. my situation changed and my shoulders hurt. And how do you do that when my shoulders hurt? Like you can't tweak it and evolve as you go. And it's not a process. It's an event. Five years later, I'd be almost the same person. But if there was like, hey, there's a check-in every four or five weeks, we're going to spend 20 minutes, bring me your questions. Let me tweak something. Let me tweak something. Constant adjustments and tweaks. And that process goes on. It's a constant steady stream of process and engagement. Process changes your life. The event is just a blip and it disappears. And it's almost like, like a sandcastle. It's there. The wave hits it. After three, four waves, it's gone. You don't even know the sandcastle's there. That's a great way to put it. And I was bringing, I was thinking about jujitsu when you just said that. Think about when you're on the mat. I, look, I don't practice jujitsu yet. And I've been talking to some people like Andy Stump and some other folks. Like I know Jocko does it and all these different... Mm -hmm. I have buddies of mine in the skydiving community that are jujitsu. And they tell me I should get into it because it's great for the evolutionary physical training, mental training. And I thought about it. And because I at least understand the concept of the art, and I think it's a beautiful martial art. Even in the Kung Fu that I practice, I've practiced an ancient form of Chinese martial arts. And it's like learning through the experience in the moment is what identifies the weaknesses so that you can manage them and it what helps accentuate strengths when you're in a like a an arm bar or when you're getting thrown around on the mat you're getting literally physically mentally and emotionally stressed and stretched and pushed in that moment you're training or rolling with your partner yep. and what happens when you roll with gracie and he puts you in a specific hold or a wrist lock and it hurts you know your limitation in that moment and you know where you can then move through a limitation because he's going to teach you when this happens to you, there are so many different ways that you can respond to it to get out of that wrist lock. So that's the thing. I love that you brought that up because when it comes to human performance, when it comes to doing personal growth, it's nice to have these types of coaches that are out there, the programs, the processes and systems that are offered in these fields. They can give you some incremental change. They do in fact help with the balance sheet and a PL. They can make you feel a little bit more motivated in your daily life, give you some routine, but transformation of who you are from the inside out, a metamorphosis requires going back to those principles. You need to be stressed in the moment, pushed through those limitations in the moment. When you get out of that moment, you get back into your life, your ego kicks back in, it starts to happen again. You start to create more of those lies that everything's fine, yet at home, they're miserable. They still talk to the partners the same way. They eat poorly. They're literally, their routine sucks. They're not exercising the right way. And then when you build upon those lies, guess what happens? That all look like they're having the best life ever, but they're miserable and they're suffering in silence. Getting back to the point where we talk about it's not an event that's going to change. It's more of a process. You talk about the importance of having a support system where you mentioned that greatness comes at a high cost. Yes. Any high-performance team like University of Alabama football, Georgia football, <laughs> Cal Berkeley swimming, Texas swimming, these organizations that consistently are top five, win the national title every other year, they have unbelievable support system. Like it's a coach and it's an assistant coach and it's a nutrition coach and there's yeah. a sleep coach. Holistic. It's holistic very holistic. Coach. Every part of the body and mind, there's a coach or yeah. a consultant to go to. And everything's taken care of. You're not sleeping well. You go to one person. They have a dietitian. So like it's a whole support system's there. But how's the average person supposed to maybe get through their demons or their problems when maybe they don't have a support system like that? Ah, right? like, how does that happen? Question. Oh, great question. You got to start the first step. You want to talk about steps. The first step for the cool average person, anybody listening to become great requires you to find the biggest truth that you are avoiding. That right there, admitting that to yourself, looking at the lie you tell yourself and being willing to embrace it 
and then face it and do something about it. Well, you know what that is. You know at the core what you're literally lying about to yourself. Your body, your everything within you is telling you the truth, but your mind is avoiding it. Whatever that biggest one is, start there and then let that compound on itself. Okay, what other truth am I avoiding right now? What other lie am I having? Going back to the start of our conversation, you made a point about awareness. You want to learn what awareness actually ends up being, how to actually build it, starts with that. You get to a place where you can hear someone tell you something that's, whoa, very uncomfortable, very ugly. And you go, let me lean into that for a second. Let me see what that is doing for me in this moment. Let me appreciate and find value. Even if I don't immediately agree with what's being told to me, there might be something here for me to explore. Most people, most big people do it too. It doesn't matter status. They do it too. I've been in front of public figures, massive personalities who cannot sit there and hear something that's challenging to them that goes outside of their traditional thinking with the yes men they've surrounded themselves with, and they immediately push it away and go, I'm good. You're trying to do something to me. You're, you're trying to convince me of X rather than saying, let me see what this person is actually showing me right now. Maybe there's a reason why that person showed up in my life and they're saying X right now. Maybe it's happening because I'm in a transitional point. If you can stop for just that moment, find that one truth, you know at your core that you're lying about and do something with that, you'll start to create an environment where you manifest for yourself the right support systems. No matter what level you're at, you'll find a coach. You'll go, I'll be right by your side. I'll kick your ass all the way through what you need to go through. And I will take care of everything you need to until you need to break away from me and go find the next level support system. When I say that being great, it comes at a high cost. We didn't hear that people go, well, to be great, I have to sacrifice and I have to suffer and I have to endure and I have to get through all these hard points. No, being great does come at a high cost. The high cost starts with you facing yourself. The blood, sweat, and tears that I talk about is you battling your personal demons, you allowing in people that challenge your ability to control your own growth. We like to control our resources. We like to get the idea that we understand the how something is going to, to, to happen for us. You need to surrender the need to know how you're going to transform. Because when you lean into this feeling of, I have to control, I have to know. That's why when you hear people go, I want to hire a coach. So tell me about you. Tell me how you're going to do this for me. How are you going to take me through the process? How is it going to look? How is it going to happen? Right there, you've limited yourself and you failed. Period. Mm -hmm. If you need to know how you're going to transform, those elite operators, they don't know how they're going to transform. They know they're going to go into the most arduous pipeline to become the most elite person in the world. SEALs, Rangers, Green Berets, combat infantry. We know it. But what, what do they do? They take control away from us. They push us past our limits on a day, day in and day out basis, 24-7, relentlessly committed to our excellence. They make us face ourselves, our limitations, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, energetically, all facets of who we are. And that is what allows us to become these elite operational forces in the military for what we do. Same thing with Olympic athletes, pro athletes. They have a holistic network that does not allow them to slack or control what's going on. We have mm -hmm. to let go of all that. And mm -hmm. we don't know what's coming half the time. And that's the best part about life is when you surrender the need to know how and you surrender the need to control, when you allow something to come at you that you're unaware of, that actually creates a real vulnerability, opens up the truth of who you really are. You can't hide yourself in those stressful situations. You cannot hide your true character when you're in a fight. And that's the key yeah. that differentiates someone who actually transforms a life versus someone who just helped change it a little bit. You mentioned how you can't hide who you are in the middle of a fight where I haven't been in too many street fights lately, but we'll go on the jujitsu mat and we'll go at it pretty good. And yeah. you could see the guys where right before the tap happens, you see that breathing and they start shaking like the egos there. Like instead of taking the tap and moving on, they will try everything possible, trained and untrained to get out. You could just see that the flip out, or you could see to some people where they get calmer. As you get to a point where yeah. you're like, you're almost get them and they're never more relaxed than right before you get them. And they find that little spot, just when you think you got them, they kind of slip right out because they were so relaxed. They yep. took themselves to that limit so many times and they were in a bad spot. They acknowledged they were in a bad spot. 
and, and mentally, and they just kind of waited for that moment. And they just got yeah. that little angle shift and you don't have them now because they chilled, they relaxed, they accepted it and they found the daylight and they moved on. Right. And Absolutely. Then- and you know, what's great. That's a philosophy. Even Bruce Lee talked about is being like water mm-hmm. surrenders the ego, which then in turn as a byproduct, it, it dissolves rigidity. Rigid thinking is a, a personality characteristic flaw. When you, you allow that, that ego to kick in and stay in control, you create rigidity within you at a very deeper level. It's not just mentally and emotionally, but physically, energetically. There's so much of that rigidity. So when you get put in that position, what happens? You break. So if you got, a, you got someone in a lock and their ego and they fight and they resist, it'll break. Makes it worse. Yeah, I know it does. Yeah, And it's funny how you just mentioned, even in, again, I hear there's always this talk about MMA versus like the, the more flowy martial arts, even though jujitsu is flowy. I've watched people that look like these beautiful, you all just, when you get into this flow together and you're rolling and you're, I'm like, that's beautiful because it's human bodies moving in ways that when you're rigid and you're just straight up boxing or you're doing something else, it is all these different tactile movements. With Kung Fu is the same way. My, my teacher, who is a lineage carrier for the secret form of Michuan and in Bagua and all these ancient forms of it that had martial applications in wartime, the Chinese used to use to defend their land when the communists came. The strikes and the blocks and everything are all one and the same, that yin and yang principle, masculine and feminine. And he would tell me in our training, surrendering to the attack, when you allow the attack to happen, the right response will present itself. Sometimes it's redirection. Sometimes it's strike through, and sometimes it's almost like an absorption of it so that you can lean into that and allow that to come. Because he gave me an example. If you're at a bar and you're a master in your martial art and you got a drunk guy who's coming over and pushing on you, what are you going to do? You're going to throw a strike right through his face and kill him? No. You're going to redirect the guy if he attacks you and just push him off. You start to expand awareness, and that principle can be applied into your personal life. You mentioned where the average person needs to surrender control, where we can't control everything. Be vulnerable and open to feedback and the situation you're in. You have to be open and vulnerable to say, you know what, this is an issue I need to address. What are some of the first steps someone needs to take? Or what's the first step someone needs to take to start this process of, you you call it unfucking themselves? Getting unfucked, yeah. Getting unfucked is a completely different experience it's an experience first of all it's different than coaching yeah so it's good to fire higher coaches when you need in like outside input from a strategy standpoint when you need someone to ask you questions that really challenges the thinking part of you the work that i do and and be and, and getting unfucked unfucking the lives of these powerful and prominent people is understanding the holistic nature of the individual so when i do my work I'm integrated into the lives of these people. I only work with two to three of them a year. It's very intimate. If I have to, I will live with them. I travel with them. They're available to them 24-7. I'm part of their life as their battle buddy in their trenches with them. doesn't mean that the average person is going to go right out and find someone that's going to do the same thing, and that's okay. We're at completely different levels of capacity, and honoring that is, is, a, is a good start as well. Start with like realizing where you are at is not where you will end up. I know we've heard that before, but truly... The first big step, I mentioned it already, and I'm going to say it again. You've got to find the one truth that you are lying to yourself about, and you've got to embrace and face it. You have to admit it to yourself first and foremost. There is no unfucking without that. You do not become optimal until you allow yourself to realize, I have been lying to myself about myself, what I've got going on, all the deeper personal problems I'm dealing with, the demons that plague me, and I need to be willing to tell the truth to myself first, and then go out and be vulnerable enough to ask the right resources to help you deal with and eradicate and move you through them. If if you're not willing to do that, you can't be upset that you don't have what you say you want. Yeah. He's saying basically starts with being honest with yourself and figuring out that one thing that you got to change. Start there and con- yeah, absolutely, yeah. Joe. And it goes back to the beginning of our conversation. It's We know at the core, kinesiology talks about the body doesn't lie. It comes back to the fact that you know what truth you're hiding. You know what truth you're avoiding. You know what you need to face first. And when you do that, that's where the process starts to unfold for you and things can start to change. But two of the things that it is not knowledge, it's emotion. It's finance, personal finance, and your health. It's not really knowledge. Like People know like getting into credit card debt is bad. Spending more money than you make. 
I make 50 grand a year, but I spend 70 grand a year and I'm 20 grand in debt. Like, <laughs> like people know that's yeah. bad, but they still do it because it's so emotional when they buy stuff and they need, they spend, they need the $800 bag, even though they're making 50 grand a year, or they send yeah. their kids to a $80,000 a year college when they have no money saved for them. It's so much emotion, not knowledge. Same thing with health. Like, you know, that a spinach salad with strawberries is better than eating a like a thing of Hagen Dolls ice cream, right? But there's a, so many smart people that are either in debt or out of shape. It's not like I didn't know spinach was better for me than ice cream. It's just their emotions. Well, they couldn't stop, right? They just couldn't, they couldn't that's stop. The, that study I told you about, the study I told you about, they did that. They asked those people, why do you, you live so? They said, we know we are doing wrong. We know this isn't the right thing. We know the truth, but we do it anyway. We, we're okay with that. We, we do it anyway because, number one, nowadays more than ever, the pressures of society to look a certain way, act a certain way, show up a certain way, you get attention when you are seen aesthetically or on the surface as somebody who's got status, caliber, money, et cetera. That's, but that's a dying metric of success. Success has nothing to do with your bank account. What do you do? I've known plenty of people with nine and 10-figure bank accounts who are the most miserable people on the planet. Why? And it goes back to that. They know the truth. They just don't want to face it. Mm -hmm. Biggest wars that we fight as human beings are not the wars that myself and many of our veterans have fought. It's personal. It's within. They choose to lie and override the truth that the body is constantly telling you, hey, this isn't good for me. And you're like, ah, I don't care. I still want it anyway because it feels good. Yeah. I like the way it tastes. I could spend my money on that salad with strawberries, but I'd rather have the McDonald's burger because it tastes good. It feels good. You're right. It's emotional. And because the emotions are trying to override the pain that people are in, they mm -hmm. lean into the, the easy route and the things that help them cope rather than just facing and battling through the most uncomfortable moments because those will be short-lived if you give yourself permission to tell the truth to yourself first. And then when someone shows them and goes, hey, guess what? You need to go talk to X because the reason why you're not making money has to do with that relationship. They don't go, I'm good. They go, oh, really? Let me lean into that and let me go have that hard conversation because maybe that person's projecting something that's cock-blocking me for making this sale over here. Mm -hmm. Or maybe this is happening with my team's per performance and function. Or maybe the fact that I'm slapping someone in a public forum has everything to do with the fact that I actually have not done any of the real work that I said I've done. And I need to find out what's really going on with me. And I need to face the very hard truth about the demons that plague me. So that's the key there is getting real with yourself. Yeah. Just speak truth to the person in the mirror. I want to move over to a part of the interview we call share your secrets. So our listeners can get to know you a little bit more as a person. Question. When you look back, what's the biggest challenge you ever faced? Hmm. Challenge. Wow. I think my life experiences to me were my biggest mentors and they were the biggest challenges that helped reveal me to who I really was. And when I embraced that darker part of myself and I leaned into it and I found that I could use fear as a fuel source for my growth and success rather than a detriment to who I am, I stopped trying to conquer fear. I stopped trying to override it. I started to learn how to relate to it and how to embrace it and let it be a part of my, my life experience. And it became less impactful as far as negativity is concerned. Anytime I was faced with like, hey, you got to go stand on the stage and speak. I'm like, fine, I guess I got to go do it. Even though I may have felt butterflies or uncomfortable, I just did it anyway. Mm -hmm. I learned in those moments that fear is such a beautiful asset and we got to stop trying to stuff that down and get rid of it because it's there, it's human, it's innate, it's never going anywhere. So the challenge of facing and embracing fear was the biggest one for me. And that's why I'm able to live this life that I have now. Yeah, man, face, face your fears. How about when you look back, do you have a successful failure? Like when you look back, do you have a favorite <laughs> failure that set you up more for success than any other failure? Mm. Favorite failure that set me up for success? Yes. The one that I, Authority Magazine inter interviewed me on this and I mentioned this to them. When I first started my business, built this around my, I was working with combat veterans. I had just that connection from my, that environment, you know, that industry. And uh, healing them through PTSD and, and getting them off their medications. They were sleeping better at night. And were, it was a very radical way in which I was supporting these guys and gals. I was working with some women too. And it got to the point where they were introducing me to friends of theirs that were doctors and professionals. And I had one guy who was a special ops dude 
said, Hey, my friend works, he's a professional baseball player and he wants to know how you can help me. So I was like, okay, great. The word of mouth stuff is kind of kicking off. Cool. I'll meet these people. And if so, I ended up going and driving eight hours to go to this event at this really extravagant hotel and where all these people were wearing five to ten thousand dollars worth of threads. You've got the the watches, the Pateks, and all the different, and it's these amazing individuals and these personalities. I had packed my bags to go, Joe, and I was ready to rock. The most successful failure of this is when I got there, I had left all my suits, all my nice shoes, all my dress shirts back at home by my front door. It was just the weirdest thing that I did that. I never, being military, I'd never leave those things. I had a shirt that said, I can't adult today. So I threw on this graphic t-shirt. I threw on a nice pair of jeans and Chuck Taylors. I did my hair. I had my, you know, shaved, et cetera, ready to go. Threw on my simple watch. And I said, screw it. I'm here. I'm, this is what, I clearly failed at remembering my nice stuff. And I walked into this unbelievable conference room. It was beautiful. And it was almost like, the reaction of those people shocked me. I was overwhelmed by laughs, handshakes. People were endeared to the idea that I had confidence, that I walked in that room being a no-name and just shared with people who I was and what I was doing in the world. It was probably one of the most rewarding experiences that I've ever had in this work. I ended up getting more business that year than, than I thought was possible. I worked with a couple new clients. And I made new contacts that started inviting me to parties and other events. And it just birthed this path into this relationship orientation dynamic of my business and how I support other powerful people. And I feel like I was able to touch other lives, heal and transform people's experiences because I did not see that as a failure that was the ending of my life or my career. I saw that as an opportunity to step up and be a real leader in who I am and the confidence that I possess and just do it anyway, regardless what the outcome was going to be. They did not hire your clothes there. They hired your mind. That's what they needed. They need your ideas. <laughs> they said, you know what? I walked into the room and it was like, who is this guy wearing this graphic tee? And the way you carried yourself, they said, we didn't care about what you actually did or how you did it. We just wanted to know what you were about, who you are. And that's what endeared them to me. And I feel that that's the piece that's missing in the world. Now, we're very transactional in nature when it comes to business. Oh, yeah. There's no interpersonal intimacy that goes on anymore. Your clothes don't make you who you are. You are who you are. And that level of confidence is energetically felt by others. People will buy that first and foremost before they yeah. buy how you do something. Absolutely. How about this with all the stuff you got going on or your coaching and everything you're involved with? When you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do? I spend time hiking in the mountains. I am always with my family. I have an ability to stay connected to the diet that I live by, the foods that I consume, even when I'm traveling. I allow myself permission to never consume someone else's energy, even when I'm working with them. I, I feel the intensity of it. So it's really coming back to just finding what works for me on a daily basis. Now, my routines are not always staunch. I don't wake up and do X, Y, Z every single day with, yeah. without fail. Sometimes I need to be flexible and I need to realize I don't have time to, to go over here and do this specific thing, but I do get to it at some point. I skydive. I love jumping out of airplanes. That's a big part of my freedom and my ability to feel excited about my life, snowboarding when I get a chance. So I enjoy those elements of activity really cleanse my soul. And it really allows me to feel so good with my emotions and my space of my being and who I am. So I find that if you are doing a routine based on what somebody else says is good, that can burn you out. Maybe you shouldn't follow a Navy SEAL and get up at 430 morning, go run 10 miles. Who knows? Mm -hmm. If it works for you, fantastic. But coming back to the table here is how I deal with everything when I'm unfucking a life is after I've worked with that individual, I... I spend time with myself, but I'm already doing that while I'm working with that person. I don't sacrifice myself through the process. Yeah. I stay in a state of living my life to a standard, which is what keeps me grounded and which is why I'm able to do the work that I do and accelerate these people to the top of their game. Yeah. First off, you mentioned jumping out of airplanes. Um, yes. I looked at some videos and on your website. Dude, you, you look way too comfortable jumping out of an airplane, man. Uh, the, the one video following you down, you look like somebody was chilling watching a movie. Like you jump it's, out, it's it's just total calm and peace. Like you want to be nowhere else. You look way too comfortable. I, yeah, I just did 13, uh, 13 jumps in two days recently. So it's wow. I, I enjoy 
you know, I, I love jumping out of planes, flying with people. Human flight is a, a beautiful thing. And when you get really good at it and you fly with a bunch of other people, yeah. we just did a big jump where we had 14 people on one jump. We all left the airplane together and flew like a flock of bird. Wow. The sky. It was fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's a great place to be. That's great. Now, so you mentioned routines. I don't know. Are you familiar with Ryan Holiday? He, he writes on Stoicism. Or the yeah, I know, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that name. He, yeah. He's really big on when the, <laughs> you mentioned routines. He says you can't have one routine. You have to have routines <laughs> plural. You got to have the routines when your kid's sick. Then you got a routine when your wife's on a business trip and you're at your home by yourself. And then you have a routine when you have a 8 a.m. meeting. You can't just have one routine and your your whole day's ruined when you can't do everything. You got to have your it's like the two minute drone football. You have the eight, seven oh, yeah. minute drive. Yeah. You have the two minute drive. You know what I mean? You have to have, you, you have to be able to adapt. You might have six or seven routines that you do that have elements of what you do, but you can't do the full line of travel every day. Life is too unpredictable. Work's unpredictable. Your family's unpredictable. Your kids get sick. You're, you get sick. You don't feel good. You know, whatever it is, you have to be flexible with the routine. Flexible. Flexible. I mean, exercise. Yeah. You're, you get, you exercise. There are days when I wake up and I want to exercise in the morning, but I don't feel it. I'm like, yeah. let me let me get into the day here because yeah. you get older and you're like, it's life. Yeah. And then later on in the day, you're like, oh, now I feel good. Now I'm ready yeah. to go exercise. Maybe or so when I hear people say you got to do it even when you don't feel good. Yeah. Yes and no, because what happens if you're not feeling good for actually a real significant reason, not just I don't have the motivation? What if there's a problem that you need to address going on physically? I don't want mm-hmm. people to hear that, too. Yep. Don't push through something that you intuitively feel like, ah, I shouldn't yep. do this just because that celebrity on Instagram said, you know, th- that's the moment you need to do it. It's like, yes, there are times in those moments you need to do it. Get yeah. to the gym, sit down on a bench, take in the energy, maybe do a couple push-ups and a pull-up or whatever and see if you want to continue. Yeah. But there are other days, maybe your body's telling you, I'm tired and I need a break. And you got to listen to that. So true. couple fun questions here to wrap up. Wiley, if you could have everyone listening take just one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be? Oh, goodness. It's going to be admitting the truth to yourself. It's going to be facing yourself. That's the hardest thing for human beings to do is face oneself, period. End of story. If you could face yourself, truthfully face yourself, don't bullshit and act like you are because you're you're creating in your head an idea of what it's supposed to look like. You're actually really facing the ugliness of what you still have not battled through. I'm telling you, your life will start to change and you'll accelerate and you'll feel better. You'll feel freer within. And then the byproduct will be more opportunity, more money, more satisfaction and so forth. Yep. Speak yep. truth, especially to yourself. Only to yourself. And then everybody else around you, then you'll be able to tell the difference between someone who actually doesn't care about you and someone who does. Yeah, great. Two uh, two, uh, final two questions. Here's a fun one. Wiley, if you could spend the day with anyone, historical figure, person in your family, alive or dead, Mm. who would you spend the day with? Keanu Reeves. Really? Go ahead. How come? So he's just a guy who doesn't love his grounded, down-to-earth personality and persona. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He has an ability to see things in a way that others don't. I just love his character. And I think him and I would get along really well. So that'd be the guy that I would spend some time with. Nothing like hanging with the Matrix. That would be awesome. You would take the <laughs> red pill or the blue pill. You know what I mean? Get to figure All out. day red. All day All red. Day yeah. red. <laughs> How about this? Last question. Yep. Wiley McGraw, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, mm. What would that quote or motto say? You're messing with my brain right now with that one. So I would say an optimized leader advances the world and an unresolved one distorts it. An optimized leader advances the world. And what's the second part of that? And an unresolved one distorts it. And an unresolved one distorts it. Wow. That's pretty deep, man. It's really good. I think that is about as good as a spot as any to wrap this up. Wally McGraw, I'd like to thank you for joining us, man. It's been an honor to speak with you. I'd like to thank you for your time, your thoughts on this development and accelerating people's lives. Thank you for your service. 101st Airborne. We didn't even talk about Band of Brothers. I have a bunch of notes on that. We'll talk about that maybe. Next time. Hey, you know. Greatest, <laughs> greatest, mini, greatest miniseries ever. Anyway. Oh, bye. my gosh, Joe.
Thank you. Wiley, if people are looking for you and what you do online, how can we find you? You know what? We talked about this before we recorded. I started my own podcast, Wise Words and Whiskey with Wiley McGraw. Now, the whiskey is spelled without the E. It's Scottish. So if you're going to look for it, and there's an ampersand instead of the word and. So it's Wise Words and Whiskey with Wiley McGraw. I'm bringing on really cool guests. It's all about low-key conversations on high-performance living while sharing different types of really high-quality whiskey so people can relate to spirits differently. So I have this love of marrying those two together. But WileyMcGraw.com, as well as the website we've put together in the last couple of years. And people can hang out with us in the conversation at Wise Words and Whiskey and check out my philosophies and insights over at WileyMcGraw.com. What I'll do is I'll put the podcast, love the Wise Words and Whiskey. It's great, great name. I'll put that in the show notes along with your website, which is great. They can see how you're way too comfortable jumping out of an airplane. Uh, but <laughs> dude, I appreciate you and I uh, wish you nothing but continued success. Likewise, brother. Thank you again for having me. It's been great. It's been an absolute pleasure. I like your questions. I appreciate you know, your grittiness and where you're willing to go. So thank you for sharing your time with me too. Hey, everyone. It's Joe. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast listening app, or better yet, share the episode with a friend. That really goes a long way of helping the podcast grow and connecting it with a bigger audience. Thanks so much. Talk soon.